There are a lot of very intelligent physicians out there, but there's a reason why they're not businessmen. I always say to a physician, look, you're physically allowed to do both. I'm only, you're licensed to do both. I'm not licensed to practice medicine, but what I specialize is business and it's what I do every day and leave it to a solid professional that doesn't have to figure it out, but has done it and have the whales on their back to prove it. You're listening to How I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic, the podcast where the most high-performing owners of aesthetic clinics and med spas from all over the world tell their stories and share the strategies and insights that allowed them to grow their business from often humble beginnings to soaring success. If you've ever tried to build a clinic, you'll know that it takes a lot more than just being a great doctor or practitioner, and it helps when you learn from the best in the industry. So join me, Miriam Shaviv, host and director of content at Brainstorm Digital, as we explore how aesthetic clinic owners just like you have developed the mindset, skills, and experience to transform their businesses and how you can do the same. Let's jump in. What's better than learning from someone who has built a great aesthetic practice? The answer is learning from someone who has helped scale many aesthetic practices. That's what today's guests, Jay and Mara Shore, have done. This father and daughter team help aesthetic practices all over North America strengthen the operational, financial, and administrative sides of their business. So whether you're opening a brand new practice and need help developing a business plan or securing financing, or whether you have an established clinic that needs sharper hiring practices or better marketing, or whether you think it's time to develop your exit plan, they can help. But like the best consultants, they've been there, done that themselves. Jay, the founder, served as VP of operations for a leading dermatologist and cosmetic surgeon in South Florida. He's also held partnerships in two leading South Florida plastic surgery centers. Mara, who is VP of marketing and business development for Shore Solutions, was previously owner of her own marketing and public relations company. So what they don't know about running a successful practice probably isn't worth knowing. Mara, Jay, welcome to How I Scaled My Aesthetic Practice. Well, thank you. Welcome thank you. It's thank great you for to having be here. Us. Fantastic. It's great to have you both here. Um, my first question is for you, Jay. Jay, obviously you come from a background where you have ran, run your own practices. When you started helping other practice owners um, scale their practices, what was the biggest surprise? What was the biggest revelation for you there? Well, I started this basically as a side hustle at the termination of our own dermatology cosmetic plastic surgery practice. To give you a little history behind why I decided to do this is I was the managing partner of a very large dermatology cosmetic plastic surgery, cosmetic plastic gynecology practice here in South Florida. And we were doing all of the different modalities in a derm insurance related business and fee for service cash business. The uh, medical director had, was diagnosed with stage four cancer and subsequently eight months later lost her battle, at which point, since I am not a physician and it was governed under a professional association here in the state of Florida, I had to sell the practice. Now, the caveat was I was very, very busy doing this, but the medical director who lost her battle was my wife. 
So now I was thrown into a tizzy of do I sell it and stay on or do I do a side hustle, which is what I started to do prior to her diagnosis so that my late wife and I would have a retirement and an exit strategy all of our own. And that knowing that doctors historically are not the best business people, they're great scientists, they're great healers, but they weren't the best business people. So I decided to see what I could do. And at that time, I was part of the creation development of the business section of the Certified Aesthetic Consultant Program, a national certification program, teaching younger people and physicians as well on the operational administrative financial marketing governance of their practice. That's the precursor to what I'm about to say. So the original question was, what was the biggest surprise when you started working with other practices? Right. But the reason I went back to there so that I could share my surprise, I thought all doctors could run a business, not knowing what I didn't know. And when I started doing this, people started asking me for their professional help. And I shortly learned that they didn't know what they didn't know about their business. They didn't have a business plan, marketing infrastructure. They were working on the here and now. And my biggest surprise is that they didn't treat it like the business that it is. Because how big could they grow? How big was some of these practices growing without some of those real foundations and basics? Well, you know, historically, if you are an insurance-based practice, you're going to grow merely by the fact of you're going to get your lead generation from your insurance roster. However, whether you want to call it George Washington Care, Lincoln Care, you know, Obamacare, Trump Care, let's not associate our name of a president with the health care. Let's just call it health care. And with the declining reimbursement and never really knowing where the reimbursement's going to go with traditional third party or government paying contracts, the declination increased reimbursements decreased and you could work harder and not make as much money. Hence the influx of all these cosmetic fee for service procedures. And you were working very, very hard, not necessarily increasing your net profit. How do you know that that practice is like that? How does it manifest itself? Well, if I asked you all to come to my house for dinner tonight, and all I gave you was an address, would you know how to get there? And everyone's going to laugh and they snicker when I ask this question. They say, I Google it. I do a map quest. But isn't that really a plan? And what I have found is that none of these successful but not greatly successful had a plan. They were running by the seat of their pants. And the greatest resource in any one business is the human resource. Because that will make or break you in the very beginning, because in our world, we have disposable income. We have the opportunity to go where we want, but when it's on insurance, we go where our insurance covers it. But when you have that opportunity to go wherever you want, if you on the other end as the medical practice don't have a plan on how to get there, and on the marketing side, you have to treat it like the business it is. 
and I'll give you four standards. Medicine is a science. Medicine is a way to heal the sick and injured. In our world, it's a way to treat the young and the beautiful. It's one of the most respected professions today. But lastly, you've got to treat it like the business it is, or you will be out of business. And if you don't have a plan, when you fail to plan, you plan to fail. So what are the essential elements? Um, and Mara, you're welcome, to, obviously, to jump in. Um, what are sure. the essential elements of, um, of a plan like that, that every, that every aesthetic clinic should really have? I think that there's, you know, there's several components. There's a financial plan, an operational plan, there's a marketing plan. And what we find again and again is that so often a practice only really thinks about what's either right in front of them or what's in the immediate future. So what happens next week? We always encourage you to think as far as marketing, think three months ahead. If you can think six months ahead, think six months ahead, but at least think one month and then three months ahead. It is no secret to everybody that the holidays are coming up. Christmas has been the same day for I don't know how many years, <laughs> right? You know that it's coming. And so with that, you should have planned at the beginning of the year, in the middle of the year, for what you plan on doing to promote things for the holidays. Yeah. So the way that we do it with marketing, by the way, is that we have, well, we have an, a, an, an annual plan that's, yep. that's kind of vague mm-hmm. and as you get closer to the date it gets more specific so one month ahead is really 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 well planned so exactly. it's actually so it's three months ahead yep. so there's there's a schedule for three months ahead one month ahead we're already working on the emails um, but we do kind of really know if, if you have a really good strategy in place you know what's coming up six months and one year ahead as well Exactly. And you know, you and I were even talking, the three of us were talking before we hit record on this podcast, we were talking about using software to plan ahead, manage projects and, you know, work together as a team for how you can do that, whether it's in your CRM, whether it's in your, you have a a to-do list system, but have something in place that everybody's on the same page. And putting a financial plan as well into place. So with the end of the year coming up, what pieces of equipment are you planning on purchasing for next year? What are they going to cost? How are you going to finance them? And what happens with warranties and early payoffs? Who's able to provide the service? So just out of interest, how far ahead do you think that you can plan? Because actually the very first podcast that I, that I did, uh, the doctor actually said that, that having that business plan was the secret to his success, but he's now putting together a 10 year plan. How far ahead, what's the maximum that you can plan ahead? So I think that there are different lengths of time for different components, right? So if you're talking about a marketing plan, you're not putting a marketing plan into place 10 years in advance, right? We know that that's, it's honestly (laughs) preposterous to even think you can do other than what you just said, where you have a general outline, you can't put tactics into place, honestly, even th- more than three months because algorithms change week to week. <laughs> oh my gosh. There was even a shift in algorithms with the Instagram stories one or two weeks ago. So we're, we're recording this on October 24th. And we know that within the past few weeks, there's been a huge shift in Instagram stories. And so what our team was planning and what practices were planning a couple weeks ago has shifted, right? New technology, new software. Now we don't know 
um, when it comes to equipment, I would say you can plan further out. You can look six months out. You can look one year out, but new equipment continues to come on the market. There's equipment that's out now that was not on the market two years ago. And so those are things that we want to look at. Now, what I do agree with is that maybe when you have a more senior position, and, and Jay, I would love your thoughts on this. Um, when you have a maybe a more senior physician and they are thinking closer to an exit plan, that's when I think it's incredibly important that you have a five-year plan and a 10-year plan. So um, I would love for Jay to speak a little bit about, because we have some clients that are working on their exit strategy right now. And an exit strategy looks very, very different at, for different people, depending on what it is that they're looking for. So Jay, what are your thoughts on a a 10 year, I, I didn't mean to hijack as host here. <laughs> I'm now going to ask questions. Well, and so, Jay, what do you think about a 10 year exit, a 10, a 10 year plan? Yeah. Well, actually, I think we're speaking about multiple types of plans. If you're speaking about a business right. plan for mm -hmm. right now, let's start off with the precursor that we are opening up three practices for our clients as we speak. One in the Northeast one in the South Central, and one in the uh, Southwest part of the country. And that's here in the United States. In and the United States. There are some listeners that are abroad. Mm -hmm. And the one comes from an aesthetic cosmetic non-core that's entering into the core market. I don't want to give their specialties for ease of privacy. Sure. One comes from a plastic surgery leaving a practice where this person currently is and was determining whether or not they were going to buy out a practice or start on their own. And the last one is starting a new totally type of medical practice. So this is initially an immediate and one-year plan. However, when we're going for a half of a million to a million dollar loan for tenant in improvement build out and historically purchase of equipment and human resources, we need to do a one-year, two-year and three-year pro forma business plan in order to submit mm -hmm. that to a lending institution to get a half of a million to a million dollars. You're not going to spend all and that stagger money. stagger it, right, Jay? Yes, you're going to be drawing down that capital as you need it, all right? So, Jay, let That's me ask you something. Why, why is it so difficult for um, clinic owners to do this by themselves? Why, why is it important that they get – I mean, I, I believe that most, most business owners and clinic owners – really do need help doing this, but it, it, would you agree? And why is that the case? Well, there's nowhere in medical school, figure a physician goes through four years of college, four years of medical school, maybe a one-year internship or a combined one to three-year intern residency, then they may do a fellowship. And unfortunately, nowhere, and I mean nowhere, in all of this 12 to 15 years of education did they ever teach them anything about profit and loss, balance sheets, fixed and variable expenses and the differences between gross and net profit. Uh, honestly, they just, some of them do. I'll, I'll, I'm not going to take it away from them. There are a lot of very intelligent physicians out there, but there's a reason why they're not businessmen. I always say to a physician, look, you're physically allowed to do both. I'm only, you're licensed to do both. I'm not licensed to practice medicine, but what I specialize is business and it's what I do every way and every day and leave it to a solid professional that doesn't have to figure it out, but has done it and have the whales on their back 
to prove it. Now, Laura so, so and the, I... The, 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 the business plan, though, would just be one part of that because actually executing the business plan is something... Yeah. Is another well, plan. I look at it in multiple ways, but I'm going to go back to the plan for a second because there is that executable one, three year plan that we want to do for a pro forma in order to generate and show what are you going to do? Who's going to do it? And when do you need it done by? This is everything that traditional lenders are going to want to know. And you want to know it too, because when we do a plan and we do site visits going to a location, now that is an architectural design. When I want to build a home, I hire an architect to take to the city so that I can get my permits. Then they approve that so we can come in and be the architect. Now, an architect may or may not be a general contractor. In many cases, they are. Or if not, they get you a general contractor. But a general contractor doesn't build your house. They oversee the administration of everything and hire subcontractors. So Mara and I are the architects. We'll build the outline of what needs to get done. Now, has to be a manager of all these processes. Mara and I are the general contractors. Now, if you want us to do many of these items, we can be the subcontractors, but many of those we don't do. We don't build websites. We don't do graphic arts. We manage the processes and have people on our team that can do some of these. We don't do electronic medical records. You know what I'm saying? We don't do physical billing. But you However, provide the strategy, which is really the most important part. And by the way, it's most important part. In, in we do purely marketing, and we would never touch clients mm -hmm. without doing a marketing strategy for them as well, because that is really right. the difference between success and failure, isn't it? It's exactly as you said. It's about having the plan. Now, let's go back to a corporate America for a second, because it's all about stockholder value, correct? And why do big corporations jump? in their share price from every, any quarter to quarter. It's very simple. They didn't meet or they exceeded the plan, right? Why does a stock jump X amount of dollars or cents or lose in any given when they post their earnings? Because they didn't or they did exceed their plan. And there's something to compare it to, is that what you mean? Yes. There's a measure. And we can well always, and don't, don't manage anything. You can't measure anything you can't manage and vice versa. So we have to at least put it into place. And during the course, if you look at it over and over again, we can tweak it at any given time, at least to adjust it to go into the next plan. But one of the biggest resources in any of our plan is the human administration of that, human resources. Because without good staffing, you're never going to accomplish it. So I'd like Mara to get into the marketing side of your business because years ago, it was an absolute disgrace for doctors to market themselves. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll get, we'll get, I promise we'll get to the marketing. Obviously yeah. I'm a marketer, so I'm super interested in that. Yes. But I have a couple of questions for you about the, the general plan first, which is first of all, um, in order to be, for, to be able to plan ahead in mm -hmm. that way, um, and, and look, uh, the doctor basically needs to be able to extricate themselves from their business a little bit. Yeah. Is that correct? How do doctors create the time 
to actually go create these plans and make sure it actually happens when they're busy treating patients? How do they change their role? How do they create the time for that? What, what does that involve? I th- why do some, I think why can some, some doctors can do it and some can't? Yeah, I think that it becomes really knowing that, number one, you need to treat it like a valuable a valuable entity, right? You need to know that that plan is something that is valuable and you need to know that blocking off that time and whether it's in the morning, whether it's in over for lunch, whether it's in the evening, we've seen some of the, the most brilliant doctors that haven't had that opportunity and haven't taken that opportunity to do that. We always recommend that the doctors and whether it's the doctor, a nurse practitioner, PA, right? So in different places, it could be that the owner of the practice may be a different person, a different level of provider, uh, depending on if it's a medical spa, for instance. But knowing you need to place that value on it and fiercely protect that time and also have somebody in your business that is business-minded and somebody that's able to really take the reins, whether that's an office manager, a practice administrator, somebody that's really able to help focus on that while the providers are also able to help focus on providing for the patient. So first of all, what you're saying is that you have to recognize that this is a priority and make the time for it and also yes. appoint someone, especially if you especially if, it, if, if it's not your primary interest, make sure there is Correct. someone in the business who can take care of business, literally. Yeah, literally. They got <laughs> taking care of business, right? It's a song, but it needs to be a mantra. And so... You've got millions of dollars invested in this operational entity. Would you take a million dollars or $2 million of your current and future value dollars and just invest it without thinking about what kind of a return because look there's a cost and yet people do and they do and we see it every day and the smarter ones hire third-party executive team members Um, Mara and I explain to each and every one of our client we're not consultants that's what we people call us, but we are executive team members because we're going to help you make those executive team decisions. I mean, we we get to know your personal uh, expenses, financial liabilities, your business liabilities for that as much as you want to share. We go over each and every contract, every penny that you bring in. Let's face something for a second. Your home is a business, and you're the CEO of your own home, and you're the CFO of your own home. Heck yeah, I am. Yeah. (laughs) But in your business, you have to understand that every dollar that you bring in is not a profit dollar. It could be 20 cents on a dollar, 30 cents on a dollar, but every dollar that you save in your business is a 100% profit dollar because no earnings were associated. You didn't have to generate revenue to save a full dollar. You've saved. We have a client in central United States and we just eliminated a $5,000 a month expense that we could not wrap our arms around the ROI. And every time we asked, what are you generating on this $60,000, the answer was- And Jade, 
just so um, for anybody that may not know, can you just, let's just say. Yeah, so return on an investment. Yes, exactly. Return on the investment. If I spend $60,000, what did it yield me back? And if you tell me $61,000, I will share with you that you are losing money. How difficult is it for these uh, for doctors to get their head around the business side, Jay? Obviously, as you said, that uh, as you said, many do not have this business background. How difficult? How do you help them get their head around this? Well, we show them what opportunities lie ahead, and really, it's nothing more than doing an H and P history and physical, just like I would if I were going to the doctor and I'm in pain. Your business is in pain. Now, do I have the medicine? I don't like to use pills because, you know, but do I have the medicine to help ease the pain and put a plan together, eat healthy, diet, exercise to be healthy? In our world, it's reduce costs, use the resources the best of your ability, increase your marketing to justify, and I mean justify, the revenue that you're bringing in. If you're going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars in equipment, then you need human resources to operate that equipment. And then what is your depreciation on that equipment and what is your yield of return? Just to generate revenue without generating profit, why do it? All right. It's all about the dollars and the cents. And what we try to do initially is show them, and the doctors, are hard pressed in the beginning to show you their money. It's like a child growing up, their parents never want them to know how much money they make. All right, right? It's very common, it's very private. Well, we come Mm -hmm. in and do everything under a non-disclosure and confidentiality. We need to see every dollar you're spending, every effort that you're using to generate capital, and it's all about the return on the investment. You have got to show me why you're investing this money to yield you a return. There are fixed and variable expenses. Some are mandatory. Rent, insurance, utilities, labor, and equipment needed to generate that revenue. Mandatory expenses. But then there's the variable expenses, and we try to trim the fat and then put you in something that's going to help you generate money and reduce your expense. Jay, many businesses do produce plans, um, and then those plans get left in a drawer somewhere. How do you make sure that plans are not just a fancy document, but actually get implemented? Because presumably, even with the best will in the world, people get caught up in their, you know, in day-to-day life. How do you make plans that are actually actionable? If I give you an architectural plan to build your house and put it in the drawer, how will the contractor know what type of house to build for you? (laughs) Well, I'm actually currently building a house. So this is a very, very appropriate example for me. You understand. Stick the plans plans in the drawer and then have the builder build it from his experience without plans and seeing if all the beams line up and all the ductwork lines up to bring you the proper heating and cooling and plumbing and electrical. It's no different than your business. You have to constantly check your plan, check it again, and check it again. And I'm going to emphasize that that teamwork is a huge component to this too. So Miriam, like we were talking about just making sure that you have an entire team on board with it, because if you only have 
one person that knows what the plan is, it's going to be really difficult to execute. And if you only so have everyone one person, needs, you need buy-in from everyone. You do. And you need to know that you, number one, have buy-in from everybody on your team. And if you don't have buy-in from people on your team, you need to look at why. Is it because there's been miscommunication in the past? Is it because there's leadership issues? Or do you not have the right people on your team? Because Definitely, first of all, they need to explain to the team that there is a plan. Correct. Imagine that many practice owners want to keep it private because it's strategic. Correct. So how, how open do you think that practice owners should be with, with and, and who with in their team about what the plan actually is? And I think there's different layers of a plan. So it doesn't need to be that they need to be fully open about every single financial aspect. So I don't know that every team member needs to know what it is that they're paying for a new laser RF device or that they're, that they're shelling out what could be for some a, a mortgage, right, for some of these devices. So honestly, I see that some of these devices at this point cost more than I paid for my first, my first condo. So I understand. They don't, the team members don't necessarily need to know that. But Remember that your team members know, and I like to say team members instead of staff. So even within our own company, within Shore Solutions, we don't have staff. We have, we have a team. We have team members, and that's how you want to be thinking of everybody. And they know more than you think that they do. They're seeing the money come in. What they don't see is that the money is, go, what the money is going out and how the money is going out. And so while they don't need to know every bit associated with dollar signs, what you can share with them is this is how we plan to grow. This is what we would like to implement. We would like to bring in a new laser RF device. We are looking at bringing in a new injectable. We're thinking that maybe in the next one to two years, we're going to be able to, to double in size from three people to, to six people or three people to 10 people. We have a practice here in, in the U.S. that says, look, I really would love to bring in another provider. So I'm not, he's, he's the only provider in his practice right now. And he says, you know what? I would love to be able to go away for a few days and know that the practice is still up and running. So All presumably not only does that get people's cooperation, um, yep. but it also gives them a sense of purpose. And I would imagine also reassurance yeah. because knowing exactly. that the practice is well run is probably really important for people working there. It, absolutely. Absolutely. They want it. And it also gives them something to get excited about. So if you truly have, have a team, your team is going to be excited about growth. And you want to make sure you're not only letting them know what those goals are, what it is that you're looking to achieve, but when you've hit these milestones, celebrate them as a team together, right? So we've talked a lot about putting the plan into place and we've talked a lot about setting goals, but you want to make sure that when you're achieving these goals, number one, you celebrate them together, but number two, that you're setting new goals as well. It doesn't have to be, up. Oh, I hit my goal. That's it. <laughs> okay. So now that we've talked about team members, let's take mm -hmm. a step back and talk about sure. you guys as a team, um, because obviously it's very unusual. You're a father-daughter team, are. Um, but I, I think that a lot of practice owners will relate because in many practices, even though it's usually not father-daughter, it's very mm -hmm. often husband-wife, um, sure. part, different you know, partners. Um, so first of all, why don't you tell us, how did you end up working together? Sure, sure. So... Uh, Jay, should I, I kick off this part of the conversation? Go on. There we go. So you may. <laughs> so we, um, you know, obviously Jay has an incredible medical background, and he gave his story. And so 
what happened is that while my stepmother was essentially passing away and while she was fighting her battle with cancer years ago, I had my own marketing company and I focused locally on marketing, community relations and fundraising. And so that was, that was my background historically. And as I was brought in to assist with some of the marketing in our family's dermatology practice, and then as we saw that there was not necessarily a need for that, but at the time, my dad, Jay, was, had this, what was then a teeny, teeny, tiny little side hustle, right? We wouldn't say then that it was a teeny, teeny, tiny little side hustle, but compared to where we are now, we go, yeah, that's what it was. And so the goal was to build it into something that he would have in his retirement. So with that, when my stepmother actually passed away, there was a moment where Jay and I were both a little lost as to what the next step would be. And so we, and we still to this day said that in between crying every morning over, you know, at the coffee maker in his kitchen, we slowly regrouped. And during that summer, while he grieved, I was I worked on the back end to line up an opportunity here, an opportunity there, a speaking engagement, a writing opportunity, things that didn't need to happen that summer, but would be there a month from now, three months from now. And hence a plan. Exactly right. Yeah, we were putting had a plan for your own business. We were put shocking, right? So <laughs> we were slowly putting this this plan into place. We didn't know. I mean, to have asked us then, what is a one-year plan or a three or a five or a 10-year plan would have been preposterous because at that point we were literally working on one foot in front of the other. We um, didn't know if we were going to execute the plan, but you couldn't execute a plan you didn't have. Exactly. Exactly. And so with, you know, when you put one foot in front of the other and you go and you go and I have nieces, I have nephews, I watch as they learn how to walk and all of a sudden they go from not being able to stand up to running through a grocery store and you're trying to catch them. And so that's essentially where we, we grew and we grew. And about a year later, I came to Jay and we still now laugh about this conversation. I came to him and I said, we need to talk. And Jay's response to me was, it's never a good thing when a woman comes to you and tells you that we need to talk. But in this case, it was. It was. And I said to him, look, I, I can't continue to have two full-time businesses because this is, this is too much. I had my company and what was then becoming, um, at the time we were known as the best medical business solutions. We later rebranded to shore solutions and I said to him, I can't do full, have two full-time businesses. I want this. I want our company to be my full-time. And he said, so did you, did you have any qualms, um, working with a family member? And oh, absolutely. I would be absolutely. So I've seen experiences where it goes horribly wrong. Um, I've seen, you know, I've seen very close. I've seen situations where that's the case. And so we actually see this now in practices that you work with as well. Very much so. And so people ask us, so number one, we had a contract amongst ourselves. We also agreed when we first, first started working together, we said, we're going to reevaluate in 90 days. So not only did we have a contract, um, because what I learned- that, What did that contract cover? What kind of things did that? Oh, I mean, the so in the very beginning, I was a contractor with the, so I'm now a 50-50 partner, but in the very beginning, it was everything that you would, you know, what are the deliverables? What is scope of work? What is rate of pay? How many hours are expected? What happens if one of us decides this isn't working out? So and you treated it as a business partnership 
did. Just a completely normal business partnership. Oh, we actually had this done by a lawyer. This was done as a real business. Mm -hmm. But let me sidestep for one second. But because Mm -hmm. the business was brand new and didn't make, wasn't making any money, like businesses in the very beginning don't make money. The best people to be paid naturally are the owners. I said to Mara, I can't afford to pay you a lot of money. I'll pay you a little bit. I can't afford to pay you a lot, but I'll give you a 10% partnership. She said, okay. And then a little more money started coming in. And I said, well, I really can only give you a little bit more money, but I'll give you a 25% partnership. And Mara said, okay. Mara was very good at the negotiating ultimately. Right. Clearly, I was very strong in my negotiating skills back then. Luckily, things Um, have changed a bit. But as it was, we went to a lawyer. So then in the event of my untimely demise, naturally Mm -hmm. what I had been through, I was very sensitive to it. And then a year later, which was probably a year and a half into the business, Mm -hmm. years I said, this business is getting not out of control, but more out of control than I physically can handle as a 75% partner. I said, I can give you a lot more money, but not what you can make on the outside. I know that, but I will give you 50-50 partnership so that we equally have everything identical. Mm -hmm. Now, the only things that were inequitable were health insurance. My health insurance was more money than her health insurance. But what we said is we each get health insurance. The dollars didn't matter as it is, but the percentage of the ownership of the business mattered. And we both agreed, had it done by an attorney. All right. It was blessed by an attorney of who gets what in the event of the other person's demise, that there is a buyout or it goes to the 100% to the other because the one thing I never had to worry about is I'm never selling the business. And Jay, it's- I actually want to make sure, because this is actually a really um, good point about why we did this was because we wanted to make sure that in case something happened to me or in case something happened to, to Jay, was that um, there were no other no other siblings that necessarily had claim to the business or that there were no spouses. So in other words, that way my husband wouldn't become Jay's business partner or Jay's wife wouldn't become my business partner. And so we wanted to make sure that it was all very, very clean and it was all very spelled out. Now, I love my son-in-law, however... I, I don't, he doesn't want to be my business partner. No. Or do I want him? All right. So it's not as a matter of the, the likability of Correct. what we do and we don't want. It really is about making it legal. Can, can I ask something here though? You guys yeah. have a, you are now 50, 50 partners in the business. Yes. I would imagine that many of the practices that you work with where they are husband and wife team. Mm-hmm. And sometimes by the way, the wife is the doctor. Sometimes it's the husband. Yeah. Um, but it's not necessarily that kind of 50, 50, um, percent mm-hmm. partnership because very often the other partner, sometimes they are dealing with the business side, sure. but sometimes they're doing other things in the practice. So, uh, so, so that kind of legal agreement may or may not pertain to them. So how do you, when you come across these situations, how mm-hmm. do you help them manage that delicate relationship? Essentially, if, especially if they can't have that legal agreement, well, in certain you states, always recommend it. Right. in certain states, depending upon the legality and the formation, if it is a non-physician owner, then the wife and or the husband may not have any ownership in the practice. In some states, 
you have to have 100% ownership by a doctor. So therefore, the husband or the wife who was a non-practicing professional uh, physician cannot have any stake in it. Mm-hmm. Certain states, you have to have 51%. Certain states, like the state of Florida, has the corporate side of medicine. However, the formation of my former practice was a medical MDPA. Uh, therefore, I was not allowed to have ownership in the practice be because of the way it was set up. If it was just set up as an LLC with mm-hmm. a subchapter S corporation, I could, but that's not the way it was originally set up. So you're unique because you've actually, it just occurred to me, not only have you worked father, daughter, you've also worked husband, husband wife. wife. Yeah, he has. What, what, what are the key lessons that you've learned about how to make that, that work essentially when you are bringing family life into the business? I, you know, I have a couple and then I'd love to hear Jay's too. So I think for me, and I always tell people because we, we have a lot of people that ask us about this, right? Because it is unique to have a father daughter working this closely together. And we've been doing it for eight going on nine years. So for us that we are the only father daughter management consulting company in our industry mm-hmm. and quite honestly we have coined ourselves as the father daughter and when we are not together we are 95 percent of the time it is like where's it's like where's jay where's waldo <laughs> yes. you know? that's how we're branded even our e-signature now shows both of us right together and, you know, I think that there's, there's a couple components. I think you need to be alike where you need to be alike and you need to be different where you need to be different. Because I think that if, um, if Jay and I were two, and we are very similar. So there's, there's genetics, there's nature versus nurture, but we are, Jay and I are very similar, but there's also some, some key differences in our personalities. And I think that's incredibly important. And I think there's also key differences in our skill set. So we are while we're both financially savvy, we recognize in our company that his strength is really when it comes to anything with a dollar sign in front of it and anything that it comes to negotiation and reviewing contracts, all of those, that side of the business. And so with me, even though Jay is knowledgeable, very knowledgeable when it comes to marketing, we're, we're both writers and all of that great stuff. When it comes to the HR, that's where my focus tends to be on the business. And I think we recognize that in each other. And so different say, job descriptions. Exactly. We each have different specialties because neither one of us can be experts in every single thing. We need to be able to divide and conquer and then regroup. And setting aside that time to regroup is really key. We even to have, because coming back to the family component, and I think what I just said needs to be taken into account for any partnership. But I think that when it comes to the family component, there is times where we have these these conversations as business partners. Now, as business partners, I've known my business partner literally my entire life. And he has known his business partner for more than 36 years. So at this point, we have really good grasp on each other's personalities. We know how one will react, but there's times where we have when conversations. I say I created this business from scratch. Quite literally. Quite literally. But there's also times where if there is something personal that needs to be discussed, then, or if there is an issue that I need to have it looked at from a different perspective, 
I will call and say, hi, I need to speak to my dad instead of, hi, I need to speak to my business partner. And Jay knows like that. You learn to switch. He switches hats immediately and he says, okay, dad's here. And the dad will react with his daughter and have different sometimes words of wisdom than dad you know it takes a special skill to be able to do that and i'm guessing that not everyone not everyone can do that so in the um in in the practices where you've come across these situations Mm -hmm. when husbands and wives in particular are working together have you seen situations where it's become just absolutely toxic or really difficult or a factor in the obviously without divulging any any, any, Mm -hmm. anything really private Um, where it's become a real problem for the management of the practice we have we've seen we've seen issues where it is between spouses i have to be honest we've seen issues between business partners and team members that are not spouses Um, you always need to know that as leadership whether you are spouses or not all eyes are on you all the time and just like as a parent all eyes are on you and your your kids are going to pick up your behaviors. If you start swearing in the car during traffic, you can't sit around and wonder why your kids are learning curse words. Just like if you are, you're screaming, you're disagreeing, walls are thinner than you think. You think that when you shut that door, people can't hear you. Your team members know they pick up on that. And we've seen instances where there's swearing at one another, there's screaming at one another, there's one person giving another the cold shoulder. Spouses are not. And you need to really keep in mind that you need to have it. And working with family is not for everybody. And if it's not for you, that's okay. That's absolutely okay if it's not for you, but you need to recognize it. Jay, what would you say? Having come from um, I've seen it from both sides in the medical practice, mm-hmm. having come from a, well, I'm going to call it the wife husband, because in my situation, my wife, my late wife was the doctor medical director. I was the administrator. So the first thing is, let me put it to you in the gender case, um, because more times than many, um, as an alpha male, Uh, Are you man enough not to feel emasculated that you take a secondary role to the doctor? Because the doctor is ultimately responsible Mm -hmm. for everything that goes on in there. All right. So that if the doctor is going to make more money than maybe my late wife, then I'm okay with it because we looked at it as what is coming home. All right. That a lot of people can't handle that. Now, and it's the husband and the wife where the male is the doctor and the female could also be a doctor or an administrator. We see it in all different mm-hmm. ways. Every scenario, female, male, doctor. I would say more than half of our clients at this point have spouses that are both involved in the practice and in multiple as, combinations. As long as you don't bring and I'll put it very cleanly as I can, extracurricular social activities into your business. Very well put. Yeah, very diplomatic. (laughs) Because it happens. Understand the business that we're in. We're in the beauty business. And people love their plastic surgeon. And they've made them beautiful, male, female, however. 
as long as you can keep that away because you've got big eyes and little cornfields and your staff sees everything and they're going to lose a good amount of respect for you both, one for doing it, one for accepting it, all right? And it's very destructive. We have even seen theft in the business where the husband and or the wife steals from their spouse in the business. Don't ask me why they do it. They just do it. Oh, they probably had an exit strategy. (laughs) And then Mara and I come in as forensic accounting. I'll find a thief in a heartbeat if, if you suspect it and it's there, I'll find it. So Jay, partners, um, family members working together in any kind of combination, what kind of boundaries should they be putting in? Mara talked about being able to switch between the roles of father and business partner, but not mm-hmm. everyone can do that so naturally. So what are the kind of more artificial boundaries that you, that you help practice put in um, in order to make sure that the relationship is still professional in the workplace? From the get-go, define each person's role and each person's responsibility and what's going to be the takeaway of what I'm accountable for and what I receive back. When we, Mara and I, went into this, I had the fortune of saying, look, I may not always be your business partner, but you are always going to be my daughter. And to me personally, Mm -hmm. it was more important that I would salvage my relationship forever with my daughter than that of my business relationship. And if both work, that is truly a bonus because we don't always see eye to eye and agree. Mm -hmm. And that's what brings a healthy business because we each bring something separate to the table. We discuss it and at the end of the day, if we can't make a decision, it's stalemates, but that's not healthy. So we have to come up with what is in the best interest since we know that we both have the same identical goals. We just may not have the same identical way of getting there. Right. One plus one plus one is three. Four minus one is three. You know, two plus one is three. There's many ways to get there, but what's the quickest? I Which told you numbers the- are his jam. <laughs> How do you prevent those professional disagreements, those spilling into your personal life? Oh, uh, you have to set the boundaries from the very beginning. And when they happen, don't wait until so many things fester up and then bring them all at once. Yep. You know, you have to align yourself to understand what the uh, situations are and try to nip them in the bud in the very beginning. Because being a partner in a business, a family business, is a marriage of sort. Anytime you have father, son, father, daughter, mother, son, mother, daughter, husband, wife, I don't care what it is. When you bring family in, there are more arguments within a cohesive, functionally dysfunctional family, even when it's non-professional, let alone sticking all the DNA into one business together and everyone wants to have a different say. And somebody has to be the chieftain. For many years, I was. And then we separated our roles. Mm-hmm. Now Mara is when it comes to her. I'm going to remember that uh, next time we have, I'm going to say, Hey, remember on the podcast, you said I'm the chief and there we go. <laughs> when it comes to certain things of the business, it's just Mara's call. I, uh, you know, when it comes to certain things of the business, it's my call. Right. And then there's those things in the middle. 
hiring decisions, whether it's for our client or for us. Sometimes I like the person, sometimes Mara doesn't. We discuss the assets and the liabilities and how it can affect the business. To close with me, the easiest thing I can sell, say to you is on my exit strategy. We work on a five-year exit strategy, just like we do with clients, because you have to build it up to make its most value to sell it. Don't try to sell your practice today because it's not going to be worth as much tomorrow if you can't build it up to eliminate the waste. The difference with our business, I told Mara that I'm not selling it to a third party ever. Mm -hmm. I will sell my business to her when I'm ready to be done for $1 and I'll even finance it. See, you thought I didn't have great negotiating skills, but look how, look at this. Yeah, I think you've done a great deal here. Guys, yeah. so I'm going to take a very quick break. When we come back, there's one final thing that I want to talk to you guys about, which we said we we're going to talk about right at the beginning, which is marketing, which obviously yeah. is your, is your, um, your core expertise. Sure. I'm really interested to hear about that. But just make a quick break and we'll be back in a minute. Hey, Miriam here. And before we get back to today's guest, I just want to mention something you might be interested in. Because as you're listening to this podcast, I'm guessing that you might want to scale your own aesthetic clinic or med spa. And at Brainstorm Digital, we've developed a three-step process that keeps your practice fully booked with high-quality patients. It's called the Zero Ad Spend Aesthetic Accelerator System. And it gets your patients through your doors again and again, so you can rapidly raise your turnover and scale without chasing the same expensive, difficult to convert leads on Google and on social media that all your competitors are going after. To find out more about how this proven process works, I've recorded a short video, which not only walks you through the three steps so you know exactly how we do it, but you'll also see how one ambitious clinic owner used the system to generate an extra $183,000 in revenue in just 12 months. To watch the short video, go to brainstormaesthetics.com. That's pretty simple to remember, brainstormaesthetics.com. But I'll put the address into the show notes as well so you can access it easily at the end of the podcast. And if you'd like to talk to me afterwards about how we can implement this powerful results-driven system for your clinic, there's a quick form you can use to get in touch with me after you've watched the video or just email me directly. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Now let's get back to the show. Guys, welcome back to the show. Um, Mara, there's one final thing that I want to discuss with you guys after that really um, interesting and open discussion about what it's like to work together. Sure. Um, but I want to talk about your expertise right now, which is PR and marketing, because obviously that is your professional background. Mm -hmm. What is the biggest issue that you see with the way that aesthetic clinics market themselves? I think, you know, I don't want us to consistently repeat ourselves, but I think not having a plan. And I think that they, they don't have a plan for a number of things. They don't have a plan for, um, for who's in charge of the marketing. So I think you need to have a plan for who's in charge. You need to have a plan for how you plan on executing your marketing strategy. You need to take into account all the different channels that are out there we always are happy to supply our clients with a checklist and run them through it of all the different opportunities because we want to be looking at internal marketing. We want to be looking at external marketing. We want to be looking at how to bring existing patients back on a recurring basis. How are we looking to bring in new patients? What sort of referral programs? 
So and what they're the, doing instead is what we call random active marketing. Exactly. They're, they're doing random bits and pieces that don't really connect together. And no one's ever really thought through also what is the process that they're taking their yes. leads through. Exactly. And it becomes a matter of, oh, people are posting on social media. So I should probably put out a post today. Well, I put out a post on social media and it's not doing anything oh, we're not good at marketing. Okay, let's take a step back here because there's so much more to that. And so it becomes reactive instead of proactive. And what I find is if you take a step back, sometimes you need to take a couple weeks, sometimes you need to take a month and really put a plan into place and put a system into place. Who is gonna be in charge of your marketing? One of the things I'm seeing now more than ever before is that practices have an in-house marketing coordinator. And so some, some practices call it different things. It could be marketing coordinator. It could be a marketing manager. It could be a social media marketing manager. I mean, whatever that title is, but you have one in-house person that's dedicated to marketing. And this person needs to be, needs to be treated like a marketer. And so they are able to really put that whole plan together. But I'm seeing more and more that that person is in-house. It doesn't mean that they don't utilize outside sources. So it doesn't mean that they're not utilizing companies for email marketing. It doesn't mean that they're not utilizing an outside website company. You've got but, one person essentially coordinating everything. Exactly. To see the big picture. Exactly. And that person is the person that's focused on how can we get creative with our copy? How can we look at all the different sources that are out there right now? How can we pull a plan together? What is our focus when it comes to SEO? That person is the person that's communicating with the other vendors, not the doctor, not the patient care coordinator, not the front desk person who's doing it in between. It's one person. Mara, how practice find that person? Because honestly, I find that it's, it's not just unique to this industry, mm -mm. but having someone who can take a strategic view is actually yes. relatively rare. That's why the first thing that we do with marketing for mm -hmm. any clinic is put together a marketing strategy. Yes. Because they don't have it. But we always, you know, we very often work with the marketing coordinator or whatever in the, in the practice, mm -hmm. and they haven't done it because those skills are rare. So how right. do practices make sure that they are finding the person who can really do that? I think that one mistake I see again and again and is that people say, oh, marketing equals social media. A college student is good at social media and therefore I'm going to hire somebody that is 21, 22 years old. They're fresh out of college. They don't have the experience and I'm going to hire them to be and my- I think it's simple. They do. And, and they think, oh, it's just words. It's just pictures. It's just, you know, putting things on a website and there's so much more to it. So what you need to do is look for somebody with experience. We hire all positions for our practices all the time. At any given point in time, we could have, it's not abnormal for us to have three to five positions that we're currently hiring for, for our, our clients. And we are incredibly picky. And so that's the one thing is we tell our clients up front when we're working with them to hire any position is that we wouldn't hire somebody we wouldn't hire for ourselves. So because we think of our clients and we, again, comes back to team and, and teamwork, we're all a team. And so I would rather see that position sit empty for two months than you hire somebody one week in and it's the first person and you say, oh, well, 
they are in their early 20s, they know about social media. Now, don't get me wrong. You could find a great candidate in his or her early 20s. I'm not disqualifying that. But you want someone that's not only able to see the component of what to put out there, but how to review the analytics and look at what's working, what's not working, and then somebody to come up with a strategy of how to make changes and shifts on strategy going forward. So when you said um, a few minutes ago that they should treat that person as a marketer, was that what you meant? That essentially that the clinic owner has to have, um, has to really value that role and hire somebody who's a, and understand that person has strategic input. Therefore what they're saying really matters. Exactly. Exactly. And while it's of course helpful to have somebody with industry experience, I would rather see, you can teach our industry. So, you know, originally many, 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 many moons ago, Jay and I came into this industry from outside this industry collectively. Yeah. Collectively Jay and I now have more than 30 years of industry experience. So we're, we're, we're good at this point on, on industry experience, but that can be taught right with the right training. I would rather see a practice bring in somebody with a strong marketing background that is a sponge to this industry. Now, one thing that I do say is if, especially if you're bringing somebody in from outside the industry, when you're interviewing them, make sure they're comfortable with the industry, make sure that they're excited to learn about the industry, whether it's for our clients or for ourselves. We actually personally, during the interview process, ask what is their comfort level with nudity? Because in this industry, on any given moment, you could even pull up our own, you know, at Shore Solutions Instagram handle. And on our feed, because of what we do, we follow a lot of plastic and cosmetic surgeons. There could be a whole lot of, you know, breasts and butts in our feed. And I want to make sure that this new team member I've just hired doesn't go, oh my gosh, what is that? You know, what is it that they're showing me? Jane, I want to And I think it's also important. Like we've hired writers in the past where I, where it turned out afterwards they were they were, they didn't really understand. Correct. And actually a lot of this industry is actually about genuinely helping people and I genuinely genuinely believe Absolutely. that. Um, and they, so they were uncomfortable with it. They perceived it as something very surfacey and and so they didn't really understand what to me is crucial to the marketing, which is that yes. ultimately it's about helping people be their best selves, feeling more comfortable with themselves and be happier. Exactly. Um, There's got to be someone who really understands at the very least that about the industry. Absolutely. I was at, I was lecturing on selling skincare in your medical practice, selling and marketing skincare in your medical practice. I was lecturing for Epionce last weekend and their founder, Dr. Carl Thornfeld gave a lecture preceding mine and his entire talk was, was brilliant. But one of the things that he talked about was the psychological and social damage, something as simple as acne can do to somebody. And so we think about it as, oh, we're just selling creams and lotions and potions, and that's what we're marketing. You're not marketing creams and lotions and potions. You're, You're transforming somebody's life. Exactly. And yeah. And, that, it, and that's, what the, that's what good marketing really does. And I do it think does. it's crucial to find people who, who really understand that because they'll be able to market, they'll be able to connect people better. Exactly. We're not here to be the judge of what in cosmetic surgery as to whether somebody wants fuller lips or larger, smaller breasts or a tummy tuck or the Brazilian butt lift. 
a lot of it is socially and culturally what's out there today from the Kardashians to a lot of these influencers. I'm not here. What we're here is to assist the practices in the transformations of one's body. What's very big right now that wasn't big when I first started in this industry is gender change. And I'm not a judge. If this is what people want to do and they're socially acceptable norms, then we try to help them with their best choices. Mm-hmm. We're not here to make those choices. I think it's up to the doctor to give all of the emotional and psychological transformations that a patient is going to go through in any type of a surgery that you're going to do. All we try to promote is safe and efficacious. Yes, and that's something I was, exactly. Safety first, safety always. And we certainly don't want to do specific types of things to the patient and market it where this is not a circus because you are transforming your anatomy of the human body. Now, I've been in medicine all of my adult life from emergency trauma medicine to aesthetic cosmetic medicine. And as Mara brought up earlier, some of these are socially, religiously accepted or not accepted norms. So yes, I do ask people, are you comfortable with nudity? Because I don't look at it as nudity. I look at it as medical. We had a, so over, um, over the summer, Jay and I won an award. And so we won a practice management award and it was announced in the aesthetic guides. It was announced in this publication. And so I ordered, you know, I asked for several copies of the publication so that we could give a few copies to our team. Now, if we didn't let our, if we didn't have the proper team that was accepting, flipping through just a mere 12 pages before our award announcement is an entire spread on vaginal rejuvenation, complete with before and after photos. Now for us, this is just part of our industry. But if I were to have given that to our 20 year old intern, male intern, without having prefaced ahead of time, sometimes you will see these images. I want to make sure also protection of ourselves as leaders, the protection of the practice that you're not going to get hit with a sexual harassment lawsuit somewhere in there as well. You want to make sure that you all know and everyone on the team knows we're, we're marketers, we're healthcare providers. This is, this is who we are. So it's some of the considerations when hiring your marketing people and general staff as well. Absolutely. Marketing Uh, is a major component Operational, administrative, financial, marketing. Mm -hmm. Treat it like the business it is. And I think that is the perfect place to end, which is essentially where we began. Um, So Mara, Jay of Shore Solutions, thank you very, very much for being on How I Scaled My Aesthetic Practice today. Absolutely fascinating discussion. A couple of things. If people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that to learn more about what you do? Absolutely. So they can find us on most of the socials. So you can find us on the, so you can find us uh, primarily, we're most active on Instagram and Facebook at Shore Solutions, S-H-O-R-R, Solutions, plural, because we always say we have more than one. Or you will, can, we will put those links also in the show notes. Perfect. Or you can find us at shoresolutions.com. So that's how you can find us.
And I'm assuming there's also details there of some of your new packages and some of your new services, which also pertain to marketing and to, um, and to hiring and to many of the issues and to, and to creating a strategy, which many of the, 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 the issues that we talked about today. Yes. And actually, um, just a, a super, super quick plug for, we just created our brand new Shore Solutions Toolkit. Uh, we just are launching it this very week. And so we know that all of the things we talked about, about putting in, putting plans into place can be incredibly overwhelming. And so over the years, we've created all sorts of spreadsheets, Word documents, toolkits, templates, all of that good stuff. And so we have hundreds of those documents available with, um, with a subscription to our toolkit. So you can find all of that online through, if you go to shoresolutions.com, you can sign up for our toolkit. Don't reinvent the wheel. No. Make it easy on yourself. Best piece of advice. Thank you guys very much. And Thank you for having us. This, my pleasure. And to everyone else, I'll see you on the next episode of How I Scaled My Aesthetic Practice. <laughs>